this week I found myself studying in the book of Revelation and as I was studying I spent some time just praying and uh, it was impressed upon me why in the world am I trying to speed through this study and the reason that I am trying to speed through this study is what um, one David Platt stated um, this year in Secret Church in that uh, the book of Revelation is the one book that every congregation wants their preacher to preach through because they don't understand it. And the book of Revelation is the one book that every preacher does not want to preach through because he does not understand it. But as I was reading and as I was praying, the Lord said, Brian, why don't you just slow down a little bit? Why don't you just preach? Preach the word. So uh, we are going to slow down just a little bit. But I do reserve the right in a passage that I don't know about to speed through. No. Um, <laughs> we'll see what God has. Revelation chapter 2. We are going to read verses 8 down through verse 11. And we're just going to look at the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Smyrna. The letter to the church at Smyrna. God's word records these words. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Lord, I ask that you would take these words that you have spoken, that you have recorded, for generation after generation after generation, for some 2,000 years have been recorded for your church. That, Father, you would take them and you would write them on our hearts today and you would speak. Father, you would speak to us as individuals. You would speak to us as men and women, as sons and daughters of the King. 
Father, there are some here today, I'm almost sure, I'm not so naive to believe that everyone that is here today is a, a son or a daughter of yours. For those that don't know you, God, you speak even now to draw them to you, to show them how much you love them, to show what you have done for them in giving your best. Father, this passage is for us today. You have kept it for us today. God, I pray that as we spend our time in this short letter, lives would be changed. God, our weeks would change because you would challenge, you would convict, you would encourage us, you would give us the boldness to walk in obedience. Monday, Tuesday, throughout this week, Father, the people that we're going to come in contact with because you bring them in front of us. Would we shine the great light of your Son? Father, I ask it in His name. Amen. This is the second letter that John records from Jesus' words here in the book of Revelation. We saw last week in our time together, we saw the, the book of, or the letter to Ephesus. In that letter, there was the aspect that they, their statement was this, that they had left their first love. They, they had left their love for God, and they had left their love for their Savior. They were doing some great things, they were doing some good things, but their focus, their emphasis, their love had left. And now he records the words that I just read to you to the, book, to the uh, city of Smyrna. And it is still alive today. It is not known as Smyrna. It is known as Izmir, Turkey. I-Z-M-I-R. It is a port city. And in this day, the day that this letter was written, it was one of four cities that held to the highest status outside of Rome. Rome was the imperial city, so to speak, and there were four cities that were uh, in great, great standing, and Smyrna was one of them. And part of that reason was because in 100 plus BC, they voted to make a temple to the goddess Roma. And their people, the people at Smyrna, bowed down each and every day in the morning, in the afternoon, whenever they would pass by, whenever they would go into this temple, they would bow down to this false goddess and they would pay homage to Rome. They also would later, after the turn of uh, B.C. to A.D., they would also have a temple built for one of the Caesars and this is where this letter is written and some of the people from it, as we'll get into this morning, you'll see some persecution and some torture and even some death. But that's Smyrna. And in this letter, I picked out three or four 
things, statements that you and I need to hold on to for not 2,000 years ago and Smyrna, this place that you and I may never be, but for today and your life that is coming up this week that you and I need to be reminded of as Jesus wrote to the folks at Smyrna, he also writes to you and here is the first statement. Jesus is the main emphasis of this letter. He is the main emphasis of the letter. He starts out the letter like this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, to the preacher, the pastor, the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write these words. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus Christ, the one with white hair, the one with flaming eyes, the one with burnished feet, the the one walking amongst the midst of the churches, the first and the last, is the emphasis of this letter. If you read all seven of the letters to the church, to the one at Ephesus, here's what he writes. He says, he starts it out and he says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands. I just read for you the one at Smyrna, the words of the first and the last, who died and came back to life, to Pergamum that we will see in uh, next week or in weeks to come, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, to Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, to Sardis, the words of the Son of God, who is there. The angel of the church at Sardis writes, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and holds the seven stars. To Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. And finally, that seventh church, Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness. Each and every single one of them, their focus was Christ. To you today and to me today, the focus, the emphasis must be on Christ. When John was on the island of Patmos and he saw this Jesus, when he saw him, verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1 says, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. The first, the last, the preeminent one, distinguished above all others, Jesus is the one that is writing here and you and I need to see that and have that as our emphasis. Not as our emphasis just when we read the passage, not as our emphasis just when we look through uh, scripture and we Um, spend our time, our moments in the morning, and we say, yep, this is what Jesus did, this is who Jesus is. But our emphasis for every single moment of every single day is to be on Him. Why? Because of what He said right there. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Yesterday I found myself in the truck going down the interstate and as I did I turned on the radio and I started listening to some Christian music and one of the songs that came on stuck in my mind you hate it when that happens sometimes I do I really do I just can't get a song out of my head I can't sing already and it just keeps coming out and 
But the words of this song by Casting Crowns stuck in my head. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Finish it out. Oh, glorious day. That's right. Y'all are with me in the middle. Sides, y'all got some work to do. But that's all right. We'll get there. But think about it. Here's what Paul said to the folks at Corinth. If he is dead, we among everyone else are to be the most pitied. If he's in the tomb today, 2,000 years, years later, we are fools for being here. Yes, he died on the cross to save you from your sins, but he rose from the dead three days later, and because of that, he has the keys of death and Hades. Because of that, Jesus is the emphasis of all creation. It was his death that paid the penalty, but it was his resurrection that brought about his ability to hold you and me in eternity, in life, forever and ever and ever. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It would be better off for me if I would just go on and die. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which... Shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You and I need to understand what he wrote to the folks at Rome and Chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This Jesus holds the key of death in Hades because he conquered death. Three days later, he came out of the grave. Three days later, he walked. And he has given you that life, not just here, but forever for those who would trust him. Set him as your focus, set him as your desire, set him as your praise, set him as your adoration today. And he is the only one who will not disappoint you. Second 
statement. Not only do we see that the emphasis is to be on Christ and it must remain there, but a second statement is this. Tribulation and suffering are sure. You and I don't like that word. We don't like either one of those two words. We don't like tribulation because every single one of us are, can't wait till we get to the point where the um, rapture is going to happen in the book of Revelation and you're going to see if, you know, if I'm correct in your belief that we're going to be gone before the great tribulation comes so we don't have to go through it or if I'm going to be wrong and that I'm going to say we've got to go through it and you're going to be like, I don't believe you, Brian. Why? Because we don't want to go through tribulation. We, we don't like that. We, we don't like our boat to be rocked at all. We don't like any ripple, any wave whatsoever. We want to just go about our day, go about our week, go about our life without any issues. And we just can't do that. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen because tomorrow morning somebody's going to burn the toast and you're going to say something that you shouldn't say. Somebody's going to cut you off on the interstate. And you're going to think some things or say some things that maybe nobody else is going to hear except God, but he'll hear them. And you shouldn't say them. You shouldn't think them. Your boss is going to come in and say, you are a worthless nothing. Because you made a mistake. Or maybe it's a mom, or maybe it's your dad, or maybe it's the boyfriend breaks up with you, or maybe it's the girlfriend, she does this, that, or the other. We don't like tribulation, and we don't like what goes along with it, which is suffering. But those two things are sure. It's no secret at all that persecution of believers in Christ occurs. It has occurred since Christ came, and it will continue to occur until he comes back. What you and I need to see is not only that it's okay for this to happen, but what occurs when it does happen. And what should be occurring in your heart and in your life when this tribulation, when this suffering takes place. Two passages of scripture that Jesus speaks of that I want to draw our attention to and bring it into light with this passage, John chapter 15 and John chapter 13. Jesus states in John 15, remember the word that I said to you. Okay, that's John 15. Two chapters before that, same night, Jesus said this in John 13. And I'll finish out what he said in chapter 15. But in John 13, after he says, if I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger, key in on that word in just a second, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. There in the upper room, Jesus went to all of those that were called his disciples that would become his apostles, and he bent down and he washed their feet. 
And you know, Peter has to open his mouth and insert his foot. And so when he opens his mouth, he says this, Lord, I will not let you touch my feet. I I won't let you even come close to my feet. I am not worthy of that. And Jesus said, Peter, if you're not going to let me wash your feet, then you're not part of me. And he says, well, don't just wash my feet. Then wash everything that I have around me. Wash my hair, wash behind my ears, wash everything. And he said, Peter, you're already clean. I just need to wash your feet. And so he washes his feet. And then after they get up from that table, after they get up and they walk out of that room, they they're find themselves in the garden. You know what happens in the garden. In the garden, he's there and he's praying, and they won't pray with him. They fall asleep in the garden. He is betrayed in the garden. He is put in shackles and chains. And before he is put in shackles and chains, he tells them, Hey, listen, remember what I said. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, if they bring tribulation upon me, if they bring stripes upon my back, if they make me suffer, know this, you are not greater than your master. There will be persecution for you. There will be suffering for you. There will be stripes for you. There may even be death for you. Jesus served and you and I His servants should serve as well. Jesus was persecuted and we too shall be persecuted. You and I are not greater than our master. Sure, we live in what today is called a free nation. There was not a group of people outside the door. Was there guy stopping us from coming in today? There was not a group of people stopping us from coming in today. There wasn't. This morning when I got here, I turned on the computer and I went to CNN.com and I read a story about today, a church in Pakistan, brothers and sisters in Christ, they walked into the church to worship. And as they were leaving the church, two suicide bombers were right there. And as they came out, bombs exploded, 60 Brothers and sisters in Christ today died. 120 injured. You say, well, I don't live in Pakistan. You are correct. We don't live in Pakistan. And we're grateful and we should be grateful. I'm grateful. We should be grateful that we live where we live. But might I add this for you and me? If you and I, and and I had to bow the knee this morning, I had to confess it and say that I I wasn't there. I haven't done that. So don't think that I'm just preaching at you. It, It pierced my heart this morning as I was reminded that if you and I, the church, if we stood up and we would shine the light of Jesus as you and I should, there would be persecution in Hernando. It's not that we live in a free nation and therefore there won't be persecution. No, if you and I would stand up and we would obey what Jesus has called for us to do, there would be persecution. People would not like you. People would not like me. I bowed the knee this morning and I wept and I said, God, I am sorry. 
I am sorry that for too long I have been worried about what somebody thinks of me instead of being worried about what the King of kings and the Lord of lords thinks. The enemy has his people ready to pounce when people make a stand. If you and I would take a stand and we would shine the light of Christ in this dark place, you and I must be ready for pushback. You and I must be ready for persecution of words Possibly even that of slander. Possibly even that of what has taken place even here in Smyrna. That they would be put in jail for a time. Suffering. Tribulation is sure. His name was Polycarp. Probably a person that you have not looked at, never heard of. But Polycarp lived in the town of Smyrna. Polycarp was an apprentice or a disciple of John the Apostle. He lived between the years of 80 A.D. and 60 A.D. and 155, 156 A.D. And Polycarp became the bishop of the church at Smyrna. He was known far and wide for being a man of who was humble, but who was straightforward in his words. One day he found himself in Rome, and as he was there, he came across a man by the name of Marcion. Marcion was a guy that probably you definitely haven't thought of or studied, but he was a leader of a heresy, of a huge heresy, there in the first century, in the start of the second century. And that heresy was taking people by scores, by droves, by hundreds away from Christ believing in false ideals of Christianity. And Polycarp, it's stated, saw him in Rome, and Marcion went up to him, and Polycarp didn't say a word, and he says, have you forgotten who I am? As I said, Polycarp was straightforward, and here's what he stated. Polycarp answered, yes, I know who you are. You are the firstborn of Satan. In A.D. 155, at the age of 86, Polycarp was arrested in Smyrna, actually right outside of Smyrna, and he was taken to a stake. All the way, his soldiers and the leaders who had arrested him, all they wanted him to do was recant and bow down to say, Caesar is Lord. Just say it, and we'll let you go, Polycarp. You're 86, we don't really want to do this, but... You can't be denying that Caesar is Lord. And he said these words. 86 years I have served him. And he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Bring forth what thou wilt. And my favorite statement of Polycarp as he is set to die, comes when the guards place him on the stake to be burned. And as they place him there on this huge pile, they take out their nails to pierce him and make sure that he stays as the fire 
takes over his body and he states these words. He who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on this heap, unmoved, without the security of your desire from these things. Polycarp knew suffering and tribulation was coming. Might you and I know that suffering and tribulation is coming? But might we find ourselves, just like Polycarp, willing to stay? Willing to stay for 40 years. I have served him and he has done me no wrong for 60 years, for 80 years, for however long that you are alive today. He has done you no wrong. You and I live and cherish the blessings of those who stood for religious freedom. Now you and I must not shrink back from it, even if it costs us persecution, suffering, freedom, even that of our lives. Christ speaks to Smyrna and says, Satan will place you in jail for ten days. Tribulation is for a time. Persecution, detention, jail, beatings, and even death will occur. Count on it, church. He said they will happen. They will surely come about. But you and I must also know this, that Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 states this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding on holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. You and I might be bound for ten days. He is going to be bound for a thousand years. He is going to be let out, and then he is going to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. Christ wins. So you and I are called to be faithful in the midst of tribulation and persecution because for no other reason, faithfulness is rewarded. There in verse number 10 it states, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you will be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Faithfulness is rewarded. Our faithfulness is obedience. Our faithfulness is obedience to the Father and it is rewarded here, right now, today, by a closer walk with Him, by a closer relationship, a closer fellowship with Him. When you and I are walking in obedience with Him, guess what? He speaks clearly. When you and I aren't, it feels as if we're out in the middle of the desert. The Father has rewarded and is rewarding you and me a closer walk with Him. It's rewarded with assurances. Your faithfulness and my faithfulness is rewarded with assurances of what is to come. Heaven is to come. Inheritance is to come. Eternity is to come. Crowns of life are to come. Peace in the midst of the storm are to come. Life here and also hereafter are to come. Church, the storm is going to rage. The storm's going to rage when 
the job is gone for no reason whatsoever. The storm is going to rage when the child leaves the house at 18. We hope and pray. You'll get it someday. Faithfulness is rewarded for you and for me when we obey in the midst. Not only for here, but for hereafter. Jesus says to his church, for you and for me to be faithful and I will reward you. You and I often times find ourselves where Jesus warns us not to be. As I just stated to you, I had to bow the knee because I came across this verse in Matthew 28. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Be faithful to Christ in everything. Be faithful to Christ in every place. Be faithful to Christ in every word, in every deed, and he will reward you. You. Why? Because Paul states it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is faithful in all that he says he will do. He brought his people out of Egypt. He was faithful in doing that. He told his his disciples, hey, let's go over to the other side. Even in the midst of the storm, he was faithful in that. He fed them in the wilderness. He threw down the walls of the enemies at Jericho and also all throughout Canaan. He slew the giant. He opened blinded eyes. He caused lame hands and legs to work again. He cast out demons. He conquered death. And he's coming again for you and for me. Be faithful. Stay strong. Even as the trials come. Say, Brian, you're working yourself out. Church, we have been commanded. We've been commanded by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do we believe that that is who he is? For if we do, we must take the command seriously. Some of us have strayed. Some of us have wandered. We've taken our focus and our emphasis off of Christ and we've thought about all our leisure activities. We've thought about the job and we're trying to find success in the job. We're trying to look at the family and say, all right, let's just stay close-knit as a family and our focus is on the three or four that are around us instead of on the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And We've thought about Monday, but we haven't thought about eternity. We thought about this week, but we hadn't thought about the neighbors around us that are dying and going to hell. We've read our four verses for the day, but we haven't thought about our kids who five years ago walked away. Jesus says for you and he says for me, be faithful. Come back today and he will restore. He will restore the relationship as if it were brand spanking new.
He will wash you afresh. He will wash you again. And you will be whiter than snow if you would come back. If you and I would repent today, He would work. Oh, church at River Bend, might we understand the letter that He wrote to you and He wrote to me as He wrote that letter to I know exactly where you are. I am the first and the last. I know that there's going to be tribulation and there's going to be suffering. I know that people look at you and they say you are poor, but I'm telling you, in me, you are rich. You have every spiritual blessing from the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing that you could possibly want. Boldness, he's got boldness. Security, you have security. Ability to stand firm in the midst of trial, you have ability in Christ. Might you and I know whose we are, just as those at Smyrna. And might he say to you and me, those who have an ear, let him hear what the Lord says to his church. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Father, you are one of love. You are one who is faithful. You are one who forgives. God, that is something that those items, your your love, your faithfulness, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, those attributes of, of who you are, are the ones that we kind of run to, the ones that I kind of run to first. But Father, you are also a God who is just. And you will not allow me or anybody else that's listening to me right now or anybody else in this world to go unpunished for the sins that have been committed. Father, I have sinned against you in words. Father, I have sinned against you in attitudes. I have sinned against you, Father, in deeds, things that you wanted me to do that I didn't do, things that I did that you didn't want me to do. I have sinned. And Father, it's only through your Son's blood that I can be reconciled to you, that any of us can. Father, we will face an eternity without you. Father, might today, even now, Lord, would you tear down the walls in our hearts? Father, the walls that we built up so that we thought you would not see what was happening. We try to hide things from you hide things from others. God, would you call us back and would we come back to you? Sir, ma'am, today there are some things in your life that you need to repent of. You need to repent of it. You need to quit the activity. You need to quit the word. You need to quit the sin 
and you need to come back to it. You have an opportunity right now to come forward, bow the knee at the altar. Nothing special in that, but it is a a position of humility, a position of brokenness. And might you come? And might you repent today? Some of you don't know Christ. You've never been introduced to Him. Might I have the opportunity today? You come and I will introduce you to the King of all kings who loves you. As we stand and as we sing, the invitation is for you. It's for nobody else. It is for you today.